She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. You know, what, what, what people are witnessing is that the agenda that President Trump ran on and that we've been delivering on over the last two years is working for every American. Uh, this is a great day for America, and uh, it's all a result of the leadership that President protests. Trump's been advancing on the economy. All the bad people in this story are lawyers. Mm. There's a hero. His name is Admiral Mike Rogers. Mm. He was the head of the National Security Agency. He discovered the illegal spying. He went personally to the FISA court and briefed the chief judge. If we ask this question, what does it matter to the person at home? If the highest levels of government can trample the constitutional rights and the Constitution that, uh, through which we elect a president, imagine what it can do to you. And now, Stacey Washington. Hey there, welcome, 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 welcome. StaceyOnTheRight.com and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. That's where you can find out about the Marriage and Family Conference coming up in June, y'all. You're going to want to register for it and attend. There are going to be some amazing speakers there. Um, so yeah, what do we have going on this hour? We're actually going to dive into a little bit of what happens next with this investigation. Liz Harrington, national RNC spokesperson was so fantastic on just like summing up everything and kind of giving us a little peek around the corner to what could happen next. And I want to continue on with that. Look, we have no way of knowing how the investigations are going to crack out. But we do know that now we, we have Barr there now. We have A.G. Barr. And he's going to be pretty good. He's going to be pretty good with this because he's a little bit fearless. That's what I noticed about him this week in the parts of the testimony that I was able to catch. He And he's very common sense. And he's not afraid to use his experience as a seasoned prosecutor to... Uh, kind of flesh out what the issues are. So we don't have any additional guests this hour. If you want to be a part of the program, you're welcome. It's Friday. We can talk about anything. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037 if you want to call in and join the show. And uh, right now I want to listen to some, this is an interview with DeGeneva. This guy, he's got a finger on the pulse. And he's looking ahead to what happens with these investigations and everything having to do with what we're seeing in, in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill right now. It's number one. This is pretty simple stuff for career prosecutors like Rudy and myself. Um, it has been evident from day one that there was a brazen plot to exonerate Hillary Clinton illegally. And then if she lost the election to frame Donald Trump, this dossier was a knowing part of that it was created by Hillary Clinton. It was created knowingly by John Brennan as part of a scheme to do everything they could to harm Donald Trump. The problem for Brennan and Clapper and Comey and Baker and all of them now is, is that the FISA court has already communicated with the Justice Department about its findings. And their findings are that for more than four years before the election of Donald Trump, there was an illegal spying operation going on by FBI contractors, four of them, to steal personal information, electronic information about Americans, and to use it against the Republican Party. There are going to be indictments. There's going to be grand juries. John Brennan isn't going to need one lawyer. He's going to need five. So John Brennan is among those who spent a lot of time on cable news saying horrible things about the president. So it's not a surprise to hear that he's in trouble. So does that does that make uh, sense to you that he would his surrogates, people that are on his side would be out, that they would have those kinds of insults coming out of Maisie Hirano? Th these these people are not operating on their own. Maisie Hirano is not sitting in her office and saying, well, I think I want to do uh, something really out of the ordinary for me in my position and I want to be really insulting now admittedly, she's usually a buffoon in these committee hearings. She never has any questions that make sense. She's always trying to trap people into contradicting themselves. And her favorite thing to do is to just make a long rambling statement. It's like 500 to 750 words and she just reads it. And the person that is in the committee to testify is having their time wasted. 
Because if they wanted to hear, if that person wanted to hear a long, lengthy presentation, they could just sit at home and turn on a C-SPAN video or tune into a radio program where someone's presenting a lot of hard-hitting information. To sit there and listen to her spout off her opinions and they're not even factual, it's a waste of their time, which is part of the reason why A.G. Barr didn't show up for the House. They wanted to try to make him look bad. He knew it and he wasn't going to waste his time. He's got a lot of work to do, I would imagine. He's the Attorney General of the United States, right? So, um, you know, there's that. But DeGeneva had a little more to say, and he was just so good here. It's number two. It's about the rule of law and privacy. Um, the Obama administration for more than four years before the 2016 election allowed four contractors working for the FBI to illegally surveil American citizens w illegally. The FISA court has already found that. By the way, uh, uh, Robert Ray mentioned that there is the Horowitz report coming out in May or possibly early June. There's another report that everybody has forgotten about involving James Comey alone. That will be out in two weeks. That report is going to be a bombshell. It's going to open up the investigation on a very high note, and there will be criminal referrals in it. The FISA court abuse is the center of this entire abuse of governmental power. And the, the chief judge of that court has already ruled that the FBI broke the law and that the people at the head of the Justice Department, Sally Yates, John Carlin, the assistant attorney general for the Nationalist Court, all knew about it and lied to the court, the FISA court, about it. So there's been lying going on. Now, why do you think, let's just, let's knit it together, people. You got yesterday or what was, yeah, I believe it was yesterday. Forgive me if it was the day before. Nancy Pelosi comes out and says that A.G. Barr lied to Congress and he should be impeached. That wasn't accidental. You got, you got to kind of follow the string, follow the little breadcrumbs or what have you. She's got to try to make A.G. Barr look like the liar because they've got some real liars who are literally their kind of running and skipping and hopping and jumping and trying to do whatever they can to stay ahead of the IG report. They know when it comes out, there's going to be some stuff in it that's going to really light people on fire. If you think people ran away from CNN and MSNBC after the Mueller report came out and exonerated the president, wait till you see what people are going to do when they realize that they spent hours and hours of their lives sitting there, spoon fed CNN, nothing but lies. Spoon-fed MSNBC, nothing but lies. And that the people who were lying to them are the same ones who tried to pull off a coup. Literally undo our system of government. Just, you know, let's, let's just make it our own thing. They were like, hey, you know what? We want Hillary Clinton. If we don't get her, we're going to turn this thing into a bonfire. We're going to burn it to the ground. And now... Guess who's in on the uh, the troll 101 classes? If you want to see, you got to go on Twitter. President Trump <laughs> tweeted out, and this was today, y'all. He said, had a long and very good conversation with President Putin of Russia. As I have always said, long before the witch hunt started, getting along with Russia, China, and everyone is a good thing, not a bad thing. Because see, look what the Chinese have been able to do in the way of catching up to us and even passing us in some very small areas technologically and on the research side by being friends with us, by being friends with us, they were able to get their citizens in here to go to our colleges and universities by being friends with us. They sent people to our venture capitalist, you know, funding sites uh, in Silicon Valley, and they've been able to lift emerging technologies right out from under the noses of our very creative geniuses who are out there doing this work. You know, the ones who their mom spent all summer with them, putting them in technology camps and sending them to engineering schools for the little fun camps that they could go to, to learn about all of the different things they could do with computing, engineering, uh, creative design, et cetera. The moms who read to their kids every night from the time they were in the womb until they could read on their own. The moms who said, you know, you're, you could watch TV every night, but instead you're going to go to Kumon. These kids who are currently cranking out the innovations that are literally revolutionizing sectors of technology, uh, research, development, biotech, artificial intelligence. These are American kids. The Chinese don't have any kids like that. They got smart kids, but they're not creative. So China could be our adversary 
Or they could be our friend. They could loan us plenty of money. They could lull us into a sense of complacency. They could send their people over here and they could steal from us. And when we put a factory over there, they could make deals that say, look, if you want our cheap labor, if you want us to unleash 100,000 workers to work for you for six days to create your product and turn it around in seven days where it would take eight months in, in the United States, then you're going to have to let us see all of the intellectual property. You're going to share the whole thing with us. And Americans were like, seven days, whatever, we'll do it. And so they've been lifting that off of us. This is not just some random tweet. This is him sharing a bit of genius with the rest of us, which is you get more with honey than you do with vinegar. We've known that since the dawn of time. He's now talking about it. I've just explained one specific relationship in which one of our adversaries, China, has been able to use sweetness and good relations to exact what they want out of us. He also tweets again, we discuss trade, Venezuela, Ukraine, North Korea, nuclear arms control, and even, in quotes, the Russia hoax. Very productive talk, exclamation point. He put that part about discussing the Russia hoax with President Putin. That was one of those, you know, the shot over the bow that's just meant to warn you. The, the, the other vessel could blow you out of the water, but instead of doing that and destroying your boat, because they might want to board it and take it for one of their own, they, sh- they fire a warning shot. Naval vessels do that to demonstrate that you are within range of their cannons. They can hit you. We could hit you. We could blow you out of the water. But instead, we're firing a warning shot to give you the opportunity to prepare to be boarded. That little even Russia hoax, that's what that was. So... He's playing with these people because had he given in to his his impulse, which was to use his executive authority to end the Russia investigation and fire Robert Mueller, he would have played right into their hands, which is why they constantly goaded and prodded and poked the president to do that. It wasn't accidental that every time you turn around over the past six months, especially we'll actually go back further than that because this is May, the six months preceding January, they were like, you know, if he would just fire Mueller, then we've already got enough of the investigation. It's basically complete. It's been complete for months now. But if he would fire Mueller, then we could disregard what the what Mueller has found, which is no collusion, no obstruction. And we'd be able to get him for firing Mueller because they were they used the firing of Jim Comey to get the investigation started. Remember that? So he literally is now that he's been exonerated, now that he actually toughed it out, he's, now he has the high ground. He gets to stand up and say, guess what? You wanted me to fire. You wanted me to go down in flames. I didn't go down in flames. I'm clean. I told you all along I'd never, I'd never worked with the Russians or colluded or, or, or obstructed. I told you that many times. Now let's get down to brass tacks. Scratch a scandal, find a Democrat. Oh, here we go. Here we go. So he's antagonizing them. He's toying with them. He's disrupting the conversation. They're having meetings about these tweets and about everything that they're going to try to do to clean up the sloppy job that they did trying to take him down. But it's too late. The IG has been investigating for months now. And you know Nancy Pelosi is just like, oh, she's not happy. And my recommendation to you is, you know, have your snacks ready. If you're into, like, I just had basically vegetable lunch. It was good though. You can have vegetables as snacks. It's not, it's, it's not anti-American to do that. Or you can go the way I used to go, which is all the sweetened popcorns, the kettle corn, caramel corn, plain popcorn with like ranch, the dry ranch seasoning on it. It's just, you, the sky's the limit. Get your snacks ready. We have been waiting anxiously for the president to be exonerated now he has been. Now it's time to investigate the people who really actually subverted the will of our government, subverted the will of the people, and attempted to exact a coup, like a third world dictator, tin pot type coup. That's what they tried to pull off on us. This is no third world pit. This is America. And I want to see some justice. I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready for it. I'm here for it. I'm waiting for it. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk about the Mueller report some more. And the FDA saying people are accidentally killing themselves by taking Ambien. Stay right there.
It's amazing, but true. When it comes to one of America's biggest household expenditures, health care, a lot of people think they've got no choice. People are used to thinking we have to do it this way, but they don't. Yes, you have the freedom to choose an alternative with your health care. It's MediShare, and it costs way less than the alternatives. The typical family saves $500 a month, not a year, a month. And if you're single, this can save you a lot too. And let's face it, a big reason MediShare is 400,000 people strong, it just works. They've shared over $3 billion in medical bills, so they can help share your needs too. Joining MediShare for so many people is one of those things that makes you say, why didn't I do this before? So yes, the time has come for something better. Look into joining MediShare and see why so many people are opting out of the old way and into the new. Why not look into this? Just call 855-PSALM-23. That's 855-PSALM-23. 855-PSALM-23. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Columnist David Brooks has a new book coming out, so he wrote a New York Times column about the five lies our culture tells us. He believes we have created a culture based on lies. Well, columnist Robert Samuelson responds to David Brooks in a Washington Post column by telling him to lighten up. So first, let's look at the five lies. They are that we believe that career success is fulfilling and that I can make myself happy. They also include the belief that life is an individual journey and that you have to find your own truth and that the rich and successful people are worth more than poorer and less successful people. If you're a Christian and look at that list of lies, you would probably reject every one of them and agree with Brooks. We shouldn't get our significance from work and career. We're part of the body of Christ and should reject the lie of self-sufficiency. And we certainly should not try to find our own truth, but instead seek truth in Scripture. So why then would Samuelson advise Brooks to lighten up? He begins by acknowledging these insights are true, but they're also utopian. He says we haven't arrived in some kind of Garden of Eden paradise where almost everyone is happy, fulfilled, responsible, and respected. He points out, for example, that ambition can be both a blessing and a curse. It encourages people to try new things and to stretch their abilities. But people obsessed with their projects and obsessed with themselves mistreat others and cause problems. I applaud both of them. Brooks focuses on some of the major problems that have surfaced in our society, like spiking suicide rates and a coarsening culture. Samuelson, on the other hand, reminds us that most Americans have jobs and we live in a time of relative peace. Both are true and deserve our attention. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info slash socialism. That's viewpoints.info slash socialism. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. To me, it seems clear they were woefully disappointed. I mean, look, they've been holding out for this mystical Mueller report for two years. They believed that it was going to be the answer to all of their problems, that all of a sudden it would come out and Democratic children uh, throughout the nation would be holding hands and singing songs of praise. And the report came out and the there isn't there. It's not going to work. So a few of them are still saying, let's impeach. But I think the smart set is looking back and saying, there's nothing that to prosecute. And one of the reasons it's not there is because there is no there there. Uh, there. There's no evidence, not even a scintilla of conclusion. And the circumstances don't warrant themselves well. They don't suggest any type of uh, uh, obstruction charge. And so they just don't have it. They must be very disappointed. That is how the system works. Okay, so that was Senator Mike Lee, and he's got a, a great point that he's making there, which is that a lot of the antics we're seeing in these Senate hearings and the fact that they now want to talk to Mueller himself, uh, which if Mueller is thinking this thing through, and I know it, it's almost incomprehensible to try to understand a legal mind like that because he's so experienced as a prosecutor and an investigator, but just from the ground, just uh, way outside of the Washington, D.C. beltway, Sitting here, you know, I've been a mom for uh, 19 years. Um, you know, I've spent some time watching the behavior of other people. I have to say that if Mueller steps into the arena and decides to go in and try to clean up anything that Barr has said or to make some things plain that he didn't make plain in the report, he's going to end up tarnishing his own reputation and making himself look foolish. Right now, he can still hold out 
he can rail against or, you know, use his silence to basically speak out against and shield himself from the accusations of partisanship. Think about it for a second. Republicans have said all along that they didn't like Mueller. They don't think he's going to do a good job. Establishment Republicans and people who are inside the Beltway, a seal of corridor types have said, hey, you know what? Mueller's an upstanding guy. He's been there for a long time. He's served multiple presidents of both sides of the aisle. He's someone we can trust. Democrats have put him out as basically he's a white robed angel. He's come down from on high to raise his hand against Donald Trump and those who work for him and destroy them. The actual literal judgment of our, our literal God of our father in heaven, God almighty. That's what the Democrats laid him out to be. Now that the report hasn't come out and said that president Trump is, is, is a puppet of Vladimir Putin or that he didn't obstruct justice. And remember Mueller gave them what he could by saying he couldn't decide. I can't, I can't give you a finding on whether or not he obstructed justice. Well, the fact that you can't give it is basically an exoneration. So it's clear that he doesn't think things through all the way to their natural conclusion. And if he decides to be lured into that room by the Democrats so that he can placate them, here's a hint, they can't be placated. They cannot be satisfied. The only way to have satisfied them was to give them what they wanted, which was a conviction and indictment and impeachment opportunity. All they're going to do is try to entrap him into saying something they can use to propel their impeachment movement forward. Meanwhile, polling shows 69% of Americans are opposed to impeachment with a scant 29% being for it. That's a crater. Support for impeachment has now cratered. Americans didn't like it when Republicans did it to Bill Clinton who did actually lie under oath, but it was Americans didn't care because it was about personal infidelity and because it dominated the news cycle and ground Washington, D.C. to a halt. And I remember back then, you know, come on, y'all. I used to be a Democrat and I was like, man, I just hate everything Bill Clinton has done right here. But I also don't know that I'm so supportive of the Republicans keeping this issue before us. We just it's like we. All we talked about was what he and Monica Lewinsky did. It was just disgusting. And this was, oh, it was so long ago. I don't even want to cast my mind back. I, I just know, I remember the feeling I had that it wasn't going to end well for anyone. It felt like it was a, a national embarrassment. And that is what an impeachment of President Trump will be. But nationally embarrassing because half the country will be sitting there helplessly watching as, as, you know, Democrats do what they do, distract away from their failed policy positions. And the rest of America, whichever parts actually do support it, that sliver of Americans, they'll be getting the red meat they desire, but at the expense of our agenda, at the expense of relationships that we have abroad that need tending to, at the expense of things that have to happen in our country in order for us to move forward. So, you know, I think Mike Lee is right. They're woefully disappointed. The question is, what will they do next? Obviously, nothing good. Um, you know, there it is. Now, I, I did tease this a little bit, and I thought this was an appropriate story for the weekend because I'm one of those people who, if I don't get enough sleep during the week, I try to make it up over the weekend. And now people who study sleep are saying, doctors, physicians, et cetera, are saying that you can't actually catch up on your sleep during the weekend. It's a cumulative effect, and you have to have a consistent number of hours on a nightly basis and just... 16 minutes less sleep than you need can actually negatively impair you for work the next day. Not meaning that you can't work at all, but that you will experience more times where your mind drifts off of your task. Tasks will be more difficult to complete. In essence, you're, you have to kind of set yourself up with a bedroom, a, a bedtime routine and stick with it and really kind of be protective of it and protective of your sleep time, making sure that you get into bed on time and that you rise around the same time in the morning. All bad news for me. Anyway, <laughs> so federal health officials are actually going to require drug makers of popular sleeping pills to add warning labels to certain prescription insomnia medications. And this is after they reviewed cases of dangerous, sometimes fatal incidents that were tied to the drugs. And you'd be surprised here. We're talking about Lunesta, Sonata, and Ambien. Now, as someone who, full disclosure, years ago, 
um, I mean, many years ago, coming out of having our third child and we had our kids really close together. So I went for like six or seven years without getting good sleep. And that's normal that the research says that a woman who has a child will experience six years of irregular and inadequate sleep after the birth of a child. If you have one, if you have three and four years or something like that, like we did, I think it probably stretches out longer than that. Or maybe I condensed it down some, I don't know. So the black box, quote unquote, warning labels will be required for Lunesta, Sonata and Ambien, among others, to caution patients about the possible side effects. The FDA announced this on Tuesday, stating that while these incidents are rare, they're serious and it's important that patients and healthcare professionals are aware of the risk. Now, acting FDA Commissioner Ned Sharpless also said these incidents can occur after the first dose of these sleep medicines or after a longer period of treatment and can occur in patients without any history of these behaviors and even at the lowest recommended dose. That to me sounds like they need to do some more research as to the safety and efficacy of these drugs. If they're saying after just one pill, you can have these side effects. When reviewing cases reported to health officials and found in medical literature, the FDA actually found 66 incidents in which injury or even death resulted after a patient taking insomnia medicines, azoplaclone, zaloplon, or zolpidem walked or drove a car while they were asleep. 46 non-fatal cases that caused serious injury included accidental overdoses, falls, burns, near drowning, exposure to extreme cold temperatures leading to a loss of limb or near death, self-injuries such as gunshot wounds, and even apparent suicide attempts. This sounds like one of those commercials, doesn't it? (laughs) You know the commercial where they, they present the drug to you and the people who are using it are thin and wealthy and good looking and they're usually walking along a beach or they're running through some tall grass and they're just so carefree and they're, they're supposed to be representatives of people who are using the, the medication that they're selling. And then towards the end of the commercial, a voice comes on where someone has recorded this and then they sped it up so they could fit it into a certain amount of time and they name off a whole bunch of stuff like what I just named off. In addition to requiring new warning labels on these drugs, the FDA warned patients who have experienced a similar incident not to take the medication. So if you're a sleepwalker, if you've ever sleepwalked while you're taking this medicine, they're saying you can't take it anymore. The FDA said that although warning of these side effects were already included on labels, they're now going to put a black box warning on them to make it more prominent. As Zoplaclone, Zaloplon, and Zolpidem are insomnia medications that help patients fall asleep or stay asleep easier by slowing brain activity. The agency had warned of possible side effects for some time for the morning after you've used it. So the side effects can go off into the morning. You wake up and you still got, you know, your brain is basically moving pretty slow. The FDA estimates that almost 30 million prescriptions of the three drugs were filled in the United States in the year 2018. I'll say that again. 30 million prescriptions last year alone. That's a lot of people walking around who could sleepwalk or do some of these other things I listed off. I'm 46 non-fatal cases that caused serious injury, including accidental overdoses, falls, burns, near drowning, exposure to extreme cold temperatures, leading to loss of limb or near death, self-injuries such as gunshot wounds, and apparent suicide attempts. So if you have a prescription for one of those drugs... It might be a conversation that you need to initiate with your physician where you look for an alternative. Um, I know some things that have been successfully suggested to me, um, obviously melatonin, and then there are other things that you can take and you can find them. They're all supplements. They're all over the counter. You can find them at CVS and Walgreens and they have sleep aid section. And so you first have to kind of ease yourself off of the Ambien or uh, the others, the Celesta, whatever you're taking, and then try some of the more natural remedies. Um, I would just say, you know, prayerfully consider whether or not you want to continue to take those drugs. The side effects sound like they're far more dangerous than maybe just having insomnia. And I know how bad it can be because I'm, I'm one of those people. Um, but I thought it was an interesting story. Not exactly a Friday good news story, but still one that I think we needed to cover. Um, So 
again, um, there's a there's a few other things like we already discussed the Joe Biden dismissing the threat um, of China. And I really think that's going to come back and bite him again and again and again. Um, I think he's going to find that having said that, that's going to be a, something that was really going to play well in uh, RNC and GOP commercials running into 2020. Um, now, there are also you heard Liz Harrington mention this person who admitted there's that story that someone sent from the FBI actually went to try to infiltrate the Trump campaign and someone else went into the Trump White House and was attending meetings. And this person was actually an FBI informant. Unbelievable. Um, so running through some more news stories, we have some record levels of the Mississippi River um, happening in northern Illinois and people in Missouri are concerned about flooding and, and they're evacuating their homes if you have uh, like cabins and things along the river. And I just ask for everybody, please pray for them um, that they wouldn't lose. It's 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 just unbelievable when the river crests and those those houses, they're in threat of flooding and everything because um, there's just been such a record rainfall. Also, we didn't specifically cover this story on the air, but you might have seen it on your local news about the trucker in Colorado. He just was literally speeding through and there were there was a traffic jam. And so the other cars that he ended up hitting were just sitting there on the road and he plowed through the multi-vehicle crash involved 28 cars and four people were killed. Four people were injured. And he has now been uh, charged with 40 counts, 40 criminal counts, including vehicular homicide. His name is Rogel Lazaro Aguilero Medeiros. And he was arrested and held without bail. He's 23 years old. And he says his brakes failed and he lost control of his tractor trailer truck during evening rush hour. And this was on Interstate 70, I-70. And 28 vehicles were involved. Ugh. He's got four counts of vehicular homicide, six of first degree assault and 24 of attempted first degree assault. The preliminary hearing in the case was set for July 11th and he's being held on a $400,000 bond. Um, the tractor trailer was actually carrying lumber and it rammed into several cars causing a pileup that developed into a raging inferno. Uh, four men who died were all single occupants in their vehicles. The police spokesman Thai Countryman said the carnage was significant, just unbelievable. And there is no indication that Aguilera Medeiros intentionally caused the crash or that he was under the influence of drugs or alcohol. He told police that his brakes had failed, but cell phone video from a witness showed his truck veering across several lanes of traffic and forcing another vehicle off the road before the trash, the crash. Wow. Um, so Robert Corey is a lawyer for Aguilera Medeiros. He said, that his client was the victim of an accident caused by equipment malfunction and that this is a massive unprecedented overreach by the prosecution on a vehicle accident. Well, I probably think people who lost their family members and those who were injured probably don't think it's a massive overreach for them to prosecute him. I don't know if 40 chart, 40 counts will stick that that's remains to be seen. Um, but it's just such a sad story we, we've got to pray for uh, the victims and even the young man. I'm, I just wonder what happened, what, what really happened to cause the crash. Uh, such a sad thing. So stocks are rallying and I'm running through news as, as quickly as possible. We're trying to get it all in before the end of the show. <laughs> um, stocks are rallying after U.S. payroll data tops views and inflation comments dent the dollar. This is global equity markets rallying today. And they're up because a U.S. payroll report shot past expectations, more jobs, the Trump economy is booming. We have to thank God for the fact that he's a businessman and he's so good at setting up these environments in which business, private business, small businesses, large businesses, entrepreneurs can flourish. It's pretty fantastic. All right, we'll be back with more after this, 866-963-2037, 963 
Have you ever found yourself so embarrassed in a situation that you couldn't even look a person in the eye? One day, I was in the drive-thru of a famous fast food restaurant, and I was giving my order to whom I thought was a man, but turned out to be a woman. Oh my goodness, I found that out because I said yes sir, and she quickly corrected me. I was so embarrassed, I couldn't even finish the order, so I drove off. That was a true story of fear and embarrassment. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. My brothers and sisters, do not operate as I did and drive away due to fear creeping in. Know that the spirit of the living God lives in you. And with him, he can bring about that courage that you didn't even realize was already in you. With the heart for the urban family, I'm today's urban woman, Victoria Hollyfield. Connect with us more at urbanfamilytalk.com. Pastor Joseph Parker. You know, obviously when things are going well, it's much easier to have an attitude of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. But even when things are going difficult, it's important to know too, there's never a time that's inappropriate for us to thank and praise God. Now some may ask, well, what about when you're going through difficult times, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death? We can have two different responses. We can worship or we can whine. Tune in to the Hour of Intercession, weekday afternoons at 1 Central on Urban Family Talk. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. Military Matters. We have the honor of Army Private First Class William Brickenbach, young man of 87 years. A special honor for a special man. The Freeholder Board honored U.S. Army and National Guard veteran Private First Class William Rickenbach for his service. On behalf of a grateful nation, we say thank you. Rickenbach was honored during an Audubon Park, New Jersey town hall meeting. Officials say he joined the National Guard in 1950 and during his military career received the National Service Medal, Good Conduct Medal, and the OCC Medal of Germany. He was visibly stunned. But never, I never dreamed of this. Surrounded by family, officials presented him with the flag and other commendations. I'm stunned, him, but I didn't know I was... I know it's just coming up here to talk about benefits for the veterans. The honor comes at a time when Rickenbach says he is battling prostate and bladder cancer. Shot at Wilson, Fox 29 News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. So the nicest thing I could say is it's un believable ignorance. It's just factually wrong. Uh, you, you hit it in your opening, Laura. Uh, the problems in Venezuela have been years in the making. It's been a socialist regime, first with Chavez, now with Maduro. Uh, the destruction of a net net wealthy nation, the, the nation with more oil reserves than any other country in the world. Beautiful country, And a too. beautiful country with uh, beautiful real estate, beautiful shorelines, all kinds of opportunity uh, for uh, a member of Congress who, frankly, one who sits on a, an important national security committee to make a statement blaming America first in this way. Uh, it's not only ignorant, it's disgusting. Well well, he's right. That was uh, Pompeo. Just he's. It's like, where does she get off blaming America? We sent aid down there to Venezuela. How is it something we did? I I've explained it, and I've mentioned it on the show, and I'll just say it one more time. Venezuelans back in 2012 agreed to give up their guns, and then those who had them, I think they collected 37 guns. I was just reading about this this morning. They collected 37 guns. So then Hugo Chavez was in charge of their country. Hugo Chavez sent out the military and collected the rest of the guns. Dude sent out the military and took the guns by force. And if you didn't want to give up your gun under the heavy hand of the military collecting it, they were jailing people, putting them in jail for 20 years for not giving up their guns. Democrats would love to do that here. Because imagine if you think Antifa likes busting the heads of old grandmas and grandpas who are out protesting, imagine what they would do if nobody was armed. If they could get away with it, if they could send out the U.S. military to collect all of the guns 
And then he would have Hugo Chavez would actually have these big showy events where he'd take the guns that were confiscated and put them in the middle of a town or a city and set them on fire. You know, this huge show of burning them to eliminate them. And it was supposed to be something that people celebrated. But if you didn't, if you weren't on board and you didn't give your gun up, you were going to jail for 20 years. 20 years. So why did Hugo Chavez want to disarm them? So he would never have to worry about them, you know, removing him from office. And that his successor would be able to run them down with armored vehicles. Now, I'm not saying that if you have a handgun, you're able to stand up to an armored vehicle. But you know how that works. It's not so much that you can stand up to the armored vehicle. It's that those who are driving the armored vehicle know that we don't even know who has the guns. A lot of people here have guns. So since I don't want to run up against a whole bunch of armed citizens, I'm just not going to run any people down. They're going to protest and it's annoying to me, but I'm not going to do anything about it because I like living. That's the difference. The gun ownership is a deterrent to tyranny. So then... Vice President Pence had a few choice comments about Ilhan Omar and her ridiculousness about blaming America for what's happening in Venezuela. It's number six. Because the Congresswoman doesn't know what she's talking about. Nicolas Maduro is a socialist dictator who's taken what was once one of the most prosperous nations in this hemisphere and, and brought it literally to a level of deprivation and oppression and poverty that we have never seen. Nine out of 10 people in Venezuela live in poverty. Three million people have fled Venezuela. That's not a result of U.S. policies. That's a result of the dictatorship and socialism that has been imposed on the people of Venezuela by Nicolas Maduro. And from early in this administration, President Trump has made it clear the United States is not going to stand idly by while the people of Venezuela suffer under oppression and dictatorship and socialism. We've taken decisive steps and made it clear. Nicolas Maduro has no legitimate claim to power and Nicolas Maduro must go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly what Vice President Pence said. Yeah. No, no comments there. Yes, exactly what he said. This dictator has to go so the people of Venezuela can begin to rebuild their country. Uh, so a couple of other things. We have had uh, lots of different opinions on the program from lots of different sources, very credible people, some who support the tariffs, some who are totally against them. But the president has tweeted out, and I love it when he does this. It's, it's, it's awesome. He says, congrats to U.S. Steel for investing $1 billion in America's most innovative steel mill. 232 tariffs make Pennsylvania and USA more prosperous and secure by bringing steel and aluminum industries back. Tariffs are working. Pittsburgh is, again, the steel city. USA economy is booming. U.S. Steel actually tweeted out, he, that's the tweet that the president is retweeting. U.S. Steel tweeted, to secure the future of steel making and manufacturing in western Pennsylvania, we're proud to invest in the state-of-the-art technology to create an endless casting and rolling facility. This technology will make Mon Valley Works the first facility of this type in the U.S. And then they put their, uh, their website link, ussteel.com slash locations, Mon Steel. We have some images here that show what the facility looks like and some diagrams with, you know, basically like a timeline of, of sorts to show people what they're talking about. Now, am I saying that all of the tariffs that the president has put into place are working as planned? No, I, I actually don't know that. But on this steel tariff issue, it appears that the tariffs are working. And so my thing with this all along has been, I never heard President Trump say he would put tariffs on forever or that the tariff situation would be the new mode of operation for our country. I think what he has tried to do is to implement the tariffs in a way where they're motivators to move companies and industries to make, be, make decisions, change their behavior to benefit the American people. Um, you know, where it's not working, the president should try other strategies. But it looks like some of what he's implementing is actually doing the job that he said it would do. And that's, I don't understand why people can't be happy about that. Even if you're against tariffs, if he's able to use them and make it work in one situation, that's a benefit to American workers. Why not go with that? All right. So, uh, well, you know, now there's a whole lot of, you know how there's always backstory on the president? Um, 
he was mad. He was upset. He threw a temper tantrum. He was cursing. He was this. He was that. Have you guys ever noticed that? It's just like it happens a lot. Um, well, now we're getting some backstory about President Obama. Apparently, Barack Obama raged after Hillary Clinton lost the 2016 election and blamed the loss of her campaign on a scripted, soulless campaign, according to a new edition of a book penned by New York Times chief White House correspondent Peter Baker. Now, y'all know that when Democrats write about Democrats, you kind of you're, you're kind of it's kind of like watching, you know, a slow motion train wreck of two people who've always been mean to you suddenly turn on each other and you're like are y'all fighting for real and then you back up a little bit and you get out your snacks well that's what this looks like because peter baker is hardly a friend to republicans so uh, apparently baker reveals barack obama was so arrogant that he thought hillary's victory was a sure thing because there was no way that quote americans would turn on him he saw himself to the antidote as the antidote to Reagan because President Reagan served two terms and then his vice president, George Bush, had one term. But then he governed differently than Reagan and was ousted by the American people. So in Barack Obama's mind, he would serve two terms, which he did, and then Hillary Clinton would be elected and she would serve the same way that he did. Same policies, same ideas, same leftism. And through that, it would be effectively the Obama doctrine for 12 years. <laughs> That's not what happened. Y'all, that is not what happened. So Daniel Bates of the Daily Mail actually read Baker's book. And uh, he, he said, because he wrote President Trump or then candidate Trump off as a cartoon. And he said, you know, these people aren't going to turn on me. But when he watched Hillary lose, that's what he felt, that Americans had turned on him. So Baker wrote in his book, she was a serious and seasoned professional who had served at the highest levels of government and provided mature leadership. Just as important, she would continue his policies and cement his biggest achievements. His legacy, he felt, was in safe hands. Now, we know that Hillary was a grifter, she was incompetent, and she was lazy. She wouldn't even get up and take her private plane to go to Rust Belt states to secure the votes needed to make sure she could win the Electoral College. She just assumed, because she was going to be the first woman president and she was born, born for the role, that it was hers for the taking. Um, it's interesting because she's also responsible for the bombing of Libya. Do you guys remember it was the bombing of Libya, which led to thousands of refugees heading for Italy, which inspired other refugees from Muslim countries to flee to Germany and other European nations, basically triggering the largest invasion of Europe by Muslims in more than 300 years. Because Hillary Clinton is bomb happy, trigger happy. She loves war. She loves it. So the book is supposed to uh, be a flattering portrayal of Obama's failed presidency. But it turns out that in writing about election night, you can't write about it in a way that makes Democrats look good. So Baker wrote that Obama struggled with what the American people had done and thought to himself that they simply could not have decided to replace him with, in his mind, a buffoonish showman whose calling cards have been repeated bankruptcies, serial marriages, and according to them, racist dog whistles, which I, I'm still waiting to hear what the racist dog whistles were when Barack Obama was organizing in Chicago. Donald Trump was sitting at dinner with Rosa Parks and uh, Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson. He was getting awards from those people for his work in the community. So... Uh, you know, to fact check, obviously, the president has never actually gone bankrupt. He used bankruptcy court to rearrange loans for businesses, not personal bankruptcies. Um, and these descriptors of him are just other ways for them to try to knock down what has been really a very successful um, outsider type presidency thus far. And, you know, we have to look at the Obamas who weren't exactly killing it before they became politicians 
And then afterwards, now they're worth $40 million. Now they've got deals with Netflix. But not because they were excellent before, but because now they're power brokers and they can trade off what they know and who they are and their personal fame for these opportunities. And I think that's super important to point out. Um, so, you know, there it is. That So Barack Obama didn't like the fact that Hillary lost. I find that kind of surprising because I know there's not a love, lot of love between the Clintons and the Obamas. But apparently he did want her to be the president, probably because it just would have been more beneficial for him. No matter what, having another Democrat there would have been better than having Donald Trump. And so this last piece, um, I, this is so funny. Um, the Washington Post is actually, they have this horrible headline. Trump is already set to use the government to destroy the Democratic nominee. Now, isn't that, wouldn't, let's say it together, scratch a scandal, find a Democrat. These people project so much they don't even know they're doing it. That is what Obama tried to do to Donald Trump. He tried to use the government to destroy then-candidate Trump and set him up for destruction if they weren't able, if he were to win. If he won, they wanted to make sure they could destroy him. Now, Obama used the IRS to punish his critics and to hurt Tea Party groups. Obama used the NSA to spy on his political opponents. Obama used the FBI to infiltrate opposing campaigns. Obama used his contacts with foreign governments to help facilitate the dossier that Hillary Clinton and her group and the Fusion GPS people put together. Obama actually obstructed justice in making sure that Jim Comey and his FBI didn't refer an indictment to the DOJ for Hillary Clinton on her email scandal. That's Barack Obama. The Obama administration was corrupt. Candidate Biden actually threatened a Ukraine prosecutor so that his son wouldn't go to jail. And Obama's first secretary of state took hundreds of millions of dollars from foreign governments through her fake charity. We're talking about Hillary Clinton, which she laundered to help finance her campaign and Chelsea's wedding. Not to mention the Haiti funds. Remember those? All the money they raised to help Haiti that they used on themselves. And now President Obama, as a civilian, is now pocketing $130 million for his book deal and his Netflix deals. He's well on his way to becoming a billionaire himself. And Democrats want us Americans to worry that the same laundry list of stuff that Obama did, that Donald Trump's going to do it. I got no words, which is lucky because it's the end of the show. (laughs) All right. Enjoy your weekend. God bless you. Get in the pew Saturday or Sunday. Connect. Feel that presence. God's waiting on you to get in the pew this weekend. All right. God bless you from the heartland. Citizens, enjoy your weekend. Until Monday. Monday.